Hey, it's Mark. With the summer heat having set in here on the East Coast and the work days perhaps tending to get a bit monotonous for some of us as we await that planned getaway or just the staycation to tick a few things off the task list, we're bringing you something a bit lighter this week. Just before the so-called summer dog days have set in, MMNM posted the shortlist for its awards. And based on the traffic numbers to our website, we know it's a highlight. The list narrows down the top contenders in each of the over 30 marketing, media, and agency of the year categories after a spirited two days of virtual awards judging, including one of our newest categories, global marketing. To see who wins, you'll need to wait until the ceremony in October. In the meantime, and with creativity on our minds, we're bringing you an interview with Marty Martinez, Chief Creative Officer at Tank Worldwide. Martinez has been all around the world, having lived in Nicaragua, Panama, Costa Rica, and now residing in Canada, where he leads the agency's creative globally. He reframes creativity in a global context. Martinez joined my colleague Jack O'Brien to discuss how he got started in medical marketing, how living outside the U.S. influenced his creative approach, why the status quo needs to be disrupted in healthcare and wellness, and why healthcare brands would do well to leverage consumer experience. And let's just hear with a health policy update. Hey, Mark. Today, I'll give a rundown of several health policy items from the last week, including the FDA approving the first over-the-counter birth control pill, Biden aiming to use a HIPAA expansion to protect abortion rights, and Johnson & Johnson being the latest pharma to sue the government over Medicare's drug pricing negotiation powers. And Jack, no shortage of items for the social media segment. What's on tap for this week? Yeah, our cup runneth over this week. We dive into Rob McElhaney's public admission on Twitter that he was diagnosed with neurodevelopmental disorders and learning disabilities at 46. A mom who documented her ovarian cancer battle on TikTok passes away at 30. And we provide an update on what Threads means for medical marketing. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. Hi there, I am Jack O'Brien, digital editor at MMM, and I am pleased to be joined today by Marty Martinez, Chief Creative Officer at Tank Worldwide. Marty, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Looking forward to this and thank you for having me. Now it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I wanted to, you know, kind of level set with a basic question. How'd you get into medical marketing? Kind of give us your story of how you got here. Uh, this is like an interesting story. I think the more people you ask is... Uh, the question could be rephrased as how do you fill into it, you know, mm-hmm. versus how you get into it. Um, so, you know, I have a, a little bit of a interesting road to get to where I am today. I think the, the if I pinpoint the moment where I really got into it, what it became a true interest is I was working on um, the design side of a cultural uh, festival, uh, just for last festivals here in Montreal. Um, very, very different of what I'm doing right now, right? I was designing posters, working with illustrators, uh, you know, trying to push artists that come from all over the world into the city, which was, I loved it from a design perspective, absolutely fantastic from an advertising perspective as well. And then I got a random call from a marketing advertising agency in healthcare. I wasn't even sure what that really was. But, you know, when I went to meet with them and I remember their logo looked like a, a courier messenger uh, company. I'm like, man, let's see what this is, right? So I had a, a couple of discussions with the creative director there. I'm like, wow, this is complex. It's interesting. 
but the creative process seems to be quite beneficial to be able to solve these problems with all the complexities that they had. Um, once you get over the lingo and you know all these abbreviations that are somewhat meaningless when you first you know step into this field, you realize that the way to generate a solution um, really really emphasizes on the creative. What I loved about it as well was that you really needed to dig into a problem and get a lot of knowledge very quickly on something that you never even knew existed before uh, to be able to solve it. So that was very, very appealing. And the potential that it had was beyond uh, momentarily satisfaction that you can find in consumer advertising sometimes, but it was more about a life-changing aspect that could really be applied to the world, right? For me, health, it's the great equalizer. It doesn't matter what your status in life is. If you don't have your health, you don't have much to go with. So that became very interesting. And, and, and that's, that's how it all started, right? I started working on small projects and then bigger global projects from, from packaging, from advertisement to physicians, uh, to reps, uh, consumers, so on and so forth. And then it just like snowballed from there. It's interesting. You talk about kind of how you fell into it, which I think a, a number of your peers that I've interviewed over the past couple of years have talked about that. It's not something that they necessarily sought out, but then they found their right. career and their their livelihood here. I wanted to pull on a thread that you had talked about when you and Tank was listed in our Agency 100 that just came out recently. You had talked about what you had just explained in terms of being able to leverage that consumer experience, that mm -hmm. consumer expectation from brand experience into healthcare. Can you kind of flesh out a little bit of what that means and maybe where there are some parallels between consumer brands and the healthcare experience? Absolutely. I think if you look at where healthcare advertising is today, it feels that like it's still behind from what consumer advertising is, right? If, if you take creativity as the best way to solve a problem or the one thing that could really amplify a solution, um, consumer advertising does very well. Now, healthcare advertising tends to lean a little bit more on everything that cannot be done that becomes like, you know, the initial thought of like jaded creatives, I just say like, oh, we can't do this because regulatory is very hard on us. Uh, the clients are not as brave. So what I found, it's like when I started working at Tank, um, there was a bigger consumer um, team on creatives. I loved how they approach the solutions to any creative problem. And we applied the same type of thinking to solve any creative problem in healthcare as well, uh, in health and wellness, no matter what the regulation is. The regulations became something that you have to navigate later on in the process versus where you start to try to solve a problem creatively. Now, if you approach any problem, right, in oncology, in special diseases, or in bubblegum, your solution and your process has to be the same. How can I make and have the biggest impact by finding a creative solution to a process? So, Again, the consumer side does that very well. And now today, I think we find ourselves with the bulk of our creatives come from a consumer background, right? So it took some process, it took some time, it took some convincing to be able to put on the table the possibilities that healthcare has when you approach it from a pure creative problem-solving approach, no matter what the industry is, 
right? Let's let's first things first, as creatives, let's try to find a solution to this problem creatively. And and a lively discussion at that. Then we deal with all the barriers that are many, you know, many that need to be navigated at the client side, other regulatory bodies that are outside governmental bodies, so on and so forth. But once you have a good partnership with a client and you have great chemistry with the client and within the agency and we're all aligned on how are we going to be pushing creative, then it's, it's, it's somewhat magical what happens. Yeah, it's interesting you're, you, hearing you talk about that. It's kind of the whole don't put the cart before the horse situation where it's like, you know, let's go forward with yeah. our creative and not get so bogged down about, you know, the regulatory concerns or trying to fit it into what legal may want. I am kind of curious, too, you know, in reading the profile that uh, we put together for the Agency 100, you had talked about kind of wanting to buck the status quo and be disruptive. And I'm curious what you make of where medical marketing stands, maybe where Tank's role is, as we're coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, where we've had all these mm-hmm. lessons the past three years. And uh, to your point earlier, health is more top of mind than it's ever been, at least in my lifetime. How are okay. you and the clients that you work with trying to capitalize on that? So one of the, you know, you mentioned the pandemic, and I think that became a big shift in our industry. Um, Not to say that we wanted to benefit from it, but I think society as a whole and culture as a whole lift that shift quite significantly in which talking about health, your health, my health, your family's health became the common subject globally at the dinner table or Mm -hmm. across Zoom or whatever we wanted to, to deal with at that time. But that became the number one subject. You will wake up in the morning, you will hear about health. You would go to bed, you will hear about health. You will read about health. Conversations were always started and triggered by health, right? Of course, the pandemic was subject number one, but then the implications of that and how this started, and people became a lot more curious, a lot, a lot more curious. So that has helped tremendously our industry in in healthcare advertising. We have become um, a little bit more appealing and more um, occurring and relevant than ever before. You know, like I was mentioning before, for me, health, it's a great equalizer. And I think the pandemic made us realize that in a very brutal way, right? That hit us like a slap in the face your status didn't really matter anymore, right? Um, I, I remember, you know, a few years, like over, over like 20 years ago, probably here in Montreal, we had had a, a, an ice storm in which the, the city was completely paralyzed. And they had built all these shelters, right, in which everyone came together to be able to keep warm during in the middle of winter. And I remember thinking at that time, wow, man, like, your house is like a thousand times bigger than mine. You live in a little apartment. You hang around from shelter from shelter, but here we are absolutely all the same. That became a commonality. The pandemic had that effect on us. So how we come out of it is with a lot more knowledge, with a lot more curiosity and a lot more relevance to be able to address the problems that are in front of us. And health has become the one thing that we can all relate to. And, you know, you know, we often we often think about, like, who's my target, how I'm going to speak to my target. And, and when I think about health and our industry, um, 
especially in advertising, our target are all of those who get up in the morning and they're still breathing. That's our target. And it's not even a target. It's it's more who we can impact. So it's so wide and it's so important that I think that shift has been tremendous uh, of tremendous benefit to be able to get a different type of profile of creatives within our industry as well. Yeah, it definitely paints a more empathetic picture, I think, for in terms of the patient experience and being able to draw off of that. Um, I want to go back just a little bit. I know that we've been talking a lot of industry stuff here, but uh, I understand that you've lived out, you live in Montreal, you've lived outside the United States for a while, including some time in Central America. I'm curious yeah. how that has informed, you know, your process <laughs> and your own story. Yeah. So, you know what? I think it's funny. It's funny. It's interesting. Actually, you asked me that question because I've been reflecting a lot of a lot in the past couple of years about what has influenced me to be who I am today. And if I go back, right, I, I was born in Nicaragua. Uh, we left during the revolution, and you know, you, you don't live with a plane ticket in first class, and everything's organized. You kind of like scramble your way out of there. Um, so we, we moved to, we got out of there, I was six, year, six or seven years old. So my memories over that are actually wonderful memories, right? About being able to play, you know, and your friends, so on and so forth. And then memories of these fears of like, like communism having a bigger impact on, on everyone's life and, you know, uh, being thought certain things in school, so on and so forth. Um, so those are like kind of like two kind of like opposites type of memories that I have that collide once in a while. But then we go into Panama, which had a bigger American influence than any other country in Latin America. Since mm-hmm. you know they had the, the the zone of the canal that was an American American zone for a long time. Um, the currency was also American. The influence was very 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 American there. Um, super beautiful country. It was all about beaches. It was about the different accents that exist there compared to the one in Nicaragua, the the indigenous culture, the colors of the textiles, the rings in their noses, and all these amazing things that just enrich you in a very unconscious way. After Panama, we moved to Costa Rica, where again, you kind of like need to reinvent yourself once again. This is by the time I'm 12, I'm trying to reinvent myself already like three times in my life. And you're trying to to fit in, right? And, and how do you fit in here? And you're always the new kid in the school and uh, you're always trying to make new friends. Are you trying to find alliances with somebody that maybe comes from your home country, uh, which are rare to find, you know? And then there's all these frictions between neighbors' countries and here you are. The weather is different. Again, the culture is different. The accents or the food, everything is different, although there are all countries that touch each other. So again, that enriches you in tremendous way of how you see life, how you see color, how you apply those colors as well, and how do you speak, you know, even that. Um, I, I often wonder where my, my, my accent in Spanish is from, because it's a blend from a bunch of things, right? So it's everyone's guess, anyone's guess, like where my accent <laughs> is from, which is a good testament of where all these little snippets of culture blend into one person and what that creates. So then you fast forward to Montreal, where, you know, I never expected it to be this cold for so many months in a year. <laughs> uh, it's an incredibly 
functional, beautiful city in which you have the French um, culture as well. So again, you know, the English, the French, my Spanish, everything in all into one, the, the modern aspect of North America, the old aspect of Europe in the, in the old city, the, the, the French pride that exists within this province, so on and so forth, with also the frictions that exist between, between those two cultures as well. You take all of those pieces and you suddenly have a, a very interesting view of what the world looks like, right? Even though it's all been in the Americas, touching so many subjects, wars, uh, corruptions, you know, beautiful architecture, art, indigenous art, modern art, abstract art, music, folklore, all those things in one life, one can only feel blessed to be able to have had access to all of those little snippets. No matter how traumatic they could have been or how wonderful they could have been, they're part of who you are. And now when I look at my work and my way of thinking, all those things come into play, you know, whenever we have a conversation or whenever we need to develop something bigger or this great idea, all those things are influences that come and enrich everything that I need to put forward or anything that comes out of my mouth for that matter, you know. So it's been it's been a wonderful, absolutely incredible, which is something that I wish for my kids too, you know, to live in different cultures and be able to experience that. Uh, but maybe in a, a little bit more of a peaceful manner than I had. <laughs> I have experienced it. Though it is hard to beat Montreal. Speaking of somebody that grew up in upstate New York, there there are few cities oh, in this world go. that yeah. I think can compete with Montreal. Um, I did want to just kind of piggyback on that though, because you talk about being able to pull from all these different influences in your life yeah. and all these different experiences. And maybe if that's something that you would like to see more, or just kind of curious where you stand in terms of where the medical marketing community is there, because I know that there's been a lot of conversation, especially in the past couple of years, about yeah. the need to be more diversified, to have different voices, different people from different socioeconomic classes being able to. Tribute. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think that's uh, it's a big conversation, and I don't think it's something that exists only in the medical field. I think within our, our industry that exists as well. Like diversity is very difficult to find within our industry, um, including the percentages of like females and males, so on and so forth. And when you think about healthcare. There's this whole systemic aspect that is so rigid and massive and almost intimidating to be able to tackle that it takes this type of uh, courage, I would say, to be able to do something. We have actually made it a point, you know, for us within our agency to push projects that actually touch that. You know, we were we had a project recently about health inequity uh, within the black maternal mortality rates in the United States and, and how that impacts that society, you know, it, the numbers are astonishing. I was trying to do something like that for Canada. Canada doesn't really keep track of those same stats, but we have issues here with the indigenous communities as well. So it, it's a big conversation. It's a big rock to move, but it's something that we have to do. And I feel like in our industry, especially in the healthcare um, uh, territories that we play in, it, it, it's almost a duty, a responsibility that we have as creative to be able to use our craft, to raise our voice and make 
as little or as big of a shift as we can. But consistency is going to be the key to be able to do this. Keep, keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, and not let go. Sometimes the shift is going to be tiny, and a lot of the time is going to be huge. But we got to keep going, and keep going, and keep going. So it's uh, even within our teams internally, we need to have that. Um, we need to diversify the teams as well to be able to address subjects that are not unique to the background that this person brings into the creative world. Absolutely. It's that persistence and commitment that you talk about there that's so key for agencies to really abide by if they want to make that change happen. And Marty, I've really enjoyed having you on the show. I enjoy being able to have these kind of wide ranging conversations that really, you know, paint a portrait of the people that work in our industry. And I want to give you the last, you know, chance here. If there's anything that you're looking forward to, either from a tank perspective or for an industry perspective, as you look to the second half of the year, you know, what's on the horizon that you're keeping an eye out for? Absolutely. I, you know, the one thing that really excites me, it's like where the industry is at right now. The relationship between the healthcare machine and the influence and impact that advertising could have in that big machine, I think it's something extremely powerful. And I feel like we're like right on the verge of really being able to generate bigger and bigger shifts, not only when you put advertising agencies playing with tech and medical tech and pushing that into the industry as innovation as well, I think that's absolutely fantastic. The fact that advertising agencies and creatives are able to push ideas that are married with tech to benefit patients and get involved into culture and be relevant, for me, that is huge, which is not something that has always been seen in advertising agency. It's very exciting to see how wide advertising is considered today. It's not only a TV spot and, a, and an ad. It's well beyond that. You know, it's well, well beyond that. And the behavioral shift doesn't happen because somebody is watching TV anymore. It happens because they live this change in their daily lives through many channels, many activations, or a device that has been put forward as an idea from an advertising agency. Absolutely. No, it's it's ever evolving and it's so interesting to see where the industry is going to go. And certainly we're going to be following along where Tank goes in the future. So again, Marty, I really appreciate you making the time, being able to share your backstory, your views on the industry, and hopefully we can get you on the pod again uh, in the future. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this time. Health Policy Update with Lesha Bouchak. In a first, the FDA has approved an over-the-counter birth control pill known as Opil. The approval could mark a substantial expansion of access to birth control, given that people won't need to get a prescription to access it. Perigo, the company that makes the pill, noted in a statement that the move was, quote, a truly momentous day for women's health nationwide and pledged to make the pill, quote, accessible and affordable to women and people of all ages. But some abortion advocates, while applauding the move, warned that the pill still isn't a replacement for abortion access. Perigo has not shared what Opel's retail price will be, but noted it will be available in pharmacies in 2024. Also on the abortion front, the Biden administration is taking more steps to protect access to the procedure, this time by trying to expand health privacy law HIPAA. 
the Department of Health and Human Services is in the process of developing a rule that would expand HIPAA to shield people who seek or provide abortions in Republican states that have restricted the procedure. Specifically, the rule would prevent HCPs and insurers from providing information to state officials who want to prosecute someone over a legal abortion. But the potential rule has also received backlash from conservatives who have threatened to take legal action if it's implemented. Finally, Johnson & Johnson has become the third big pharma company to sue the federal government over Medicare's new drug pricing negotiating power, following in the footsteps of Merck and Bristol-Myers Squibb. J&J launched the lawsuit Tuesday, arguing that the Medicare negotiations violate the First and Fifth Amendments. The government is expected to publish the first 10 drugs that will be subject to Medicare negotiations in September of this year. I'm Lesha Bouchak, senior reporter at MMM. Social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, social media update. And this is the part of the broadcast when we welcome Jack O'Brien to tell us what's trending on healthcare social media. Hey, Jack. Hey, Mark. So we had numerous healthcare-related stories that could have gone into the roundup this week. Those include an update on Madonna's health status, President Biden claiming responsibility for the 988 suicide and crisis hotline, which was signed into law by former President Trump in 2019, as well as a plastic surgeon who live streamed procedures on TikTok and was subsequently banned from practicing medicine in the state of Ohio. However, we're going to start with Rob McElhaney, the creator of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, who disclosed earlier this month that he was diagnosed with several neurodevelopmental disorders and learning disabilities at the age of 46. McElhaney said he would detail the diagnosis and prognosis further on the Always Sunny podcast towards the end of the month. He tweeted, quote, it's not something I would normally talk about publicly, but I figured there are others who struggle with similar things. and I want to remind you that you're not alone. You're not stupid. You're not, quote, bad. It might feel that way sometimes, but it's not true. While it may seem rare, McElhaney is far from the only adult to receive a diagnosis of learning disabilities late in life. The National Center for Learning Disabilities found that around 15% of the U.S. population has some form of a learning disability. The American Psychiatric Association states that a specific learning disorder can be diagnosed by a licensed evaluator through a clinical review of the individual's developmental, medical, educational, and family history, reports of test scores, and teacher observations, as well as response to academic interventions. Additionally, around 85% of people with learning disabilities have a reading disability or dyslexia, according to the Learning Disabilities Association of America. Importantly, the organization notes that learning disabilities are not caused by, quote, economic disadvantage or cultural differences. Now, Mark and Lesha, I don't know about you. I'm a longtime fan of It's Always Sunny, and in particular, Rob McElhaney. And I do think it's one of those things that when you hear a celebrity talk about their condition, especially something, as he noted in his tweet, so personal, and I would still say stigmatized as learning disabilities are, it is refreshing to have somebody come out there and say, hey, this is not something that you have to be ashamed of. This is something that millions of Americans you know, I won't even say suffer from, but are, you know, afflicted with and live their lives. And, you know, once they're diagnosed, are able to go out there and seek out the resources and help they need to be able to live their life to the fullest extent possible. Yeah, I think anytime a celebrity, you know, or a famous musician or, or someone comes out and speaks out about either a physical or a mental health issue, um, it's always a positive um, for Rob McElhaney, that's how you pronounce it, right? McElhaney, McElhaney. It's, it's yeah. all Irish. I know that It's Always Sunny has been like running for a very long time now. It's been over a decade, like how many years? 15? I think it's, yeah, it's like 16 or 17. Yeah, and it's still running, right? Yeah. yeah I, know, I know a lot of people in the millennial generation are fans of that show. Um, so, you know, 
I'm sure he's resonating with a lot of people, and especially in the younger generations who have been talking a lot more about things like ADHD, mental health issues, like on TikTok and things like that. I am sure that his coming out, you know, talking about this is going to resonate with those people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here, here, you know, um, like Lesha says, any, any time somebody who's admired in entertainment uh, comes out and reveals something like this, uh, makes it that much easier for everybody else to, you know, have those same conversations uh, that can be embarrassing, can be difficult, especially to be diagnosed with something like this later in life. You know, I guess if you're in a school age kid, you know, and your parents take you, you know, kind of, you know, for testing or something, it kind of gives you a little bit of political cover, I guess, so to speak. But to do that, you know, come out as an adult is probably, you know, not so easy. So kudos to him for, for, breaking the ice there and making it easier for others and judging by, uh, you know, the response on Twitter, it did help. You know, a lot of people uh, replied thanking him for his openness and sharing their own stories. So it uh, seems to have already had an effect, a positive one. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where I don't think anybody thinks any less of him. I mean, he's been such a successful right. presence on television. He owns the soccer team out in Wales with Ryan Reynolds, famously. He's married to Kate Olson, who is also on It's Always Sunny and has children. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it, it almost makes it more accessible and relatable where it's like, hey, if he has this thing that millions of Americans do, but he's been able to make a life and, and make his way in the world where is the shame in that as it come as it relates to coming out publicly with this uh, condition? So no, very much props to Rob McElhaney. And uh, for those of you who haven't started watching, it's always sunny, uh, whatever rock you're living under. I highly recommend that. <laughs> so our next story is unfortunately, uh, you know, when we talk about TikTok on the show, it's usually kind of going into the bizarre and at times potentially dangerous healthcare trends that Lesha has to wade through uh, on the app whether it's people shaving their teeth down or doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Unfortunately, this week, it's more of a sad story. It's a story of Haley Odlozel, a mom who documented her fight with ovarian cancer on TikTok and recently passed away at age 30. Taylor, Haley's husband, announced her passing on Instagram late last week. He wrote, quote, is with unbelievable sadness that I tell you all of my sweet Haley has passed away. I cannot begin to describe the amount of heartache and grief myself and our entire family is experiencing. I never knew my heart could physically hurt. I've never seen someone fight so hard to live. Her love for me, Weston, her family, and friends is what kept her going for so many years, especially in the last eight months. For those of you unaware, Haley has been fighting ovarian cancer for eight years and publicly documented her battle to the couple's more than 2.5 million followers on TikTok. Her post typically included the caption, quote, Haley is still fighting. Her journey encouraged many people, including the nearly 20,000 women who receive a new diagnosis of ovarian cancer each year, as well as the more than 13,000 women who die from the disease annually. And while her passing is tragic, it does highlight the impact that patient advocates and community can have on social media, which I know is something that we've talked about as it relates to, you know, how TikTok is really taken off in particular. Where people can look up a hashtag or look up a condition and say, oh, that's something that I'm going through. And I know that hers really resonated, especially in the ovarian cancer community. Yeah, I know that we've we've mostly covered like TikTok trends that are health related, but one of the things that TikTok has been really good at, you know, doing is I guess hosting basically patients who are documenting their real life journeys through different diseases. Um, you'll probably find patients with all sorts of diseases, um, rare diseases to different types of cancer, to different mental health problems, who are documenting their day-to-day -day life and really showing an intimate, personal, 
view into what it's like to be someone with this type of disease. Um, and I think that hasn't really happened on other social media platforms before, maybe a little bit on Instagram, but like the video component of TikTok really, I guess, expands that. So I think this is just an example of a patient advocate or a patient kind of documenting their their personal journey. And unfortunately, you know, when it comes to that too, it's not always going to be a happy ending. Like there is always the chance mm-hmm. that a patient, especially when they're suffering from something as serious as this, something could go wrong or they could unfortunately lose their life, which is what happened with Haley in this situation. And, and I like the, um, that's true, Jack. Yeah, it's, it's a, not always a happy ending for sure. But I like how you know, her husband, uh, Taylor, we hear from him firsthand, uh, kind of shows, um, highlights the, the caregiver's experience, obviously mm-hmm. dealing, uh, you know, with, with a loved one who has this and kind of documenting the whole journey uh, on social media for all to see. Um, it was, I'm sure it was a way for them to, to draw support from the community. And, uh, you know, the hashtags are there, you know, cancer, grief, family, love. Uh, and he says, hopefully this will, this will help other women. So his intentions are definitely, uh, to help other people. And so, um, he's, he's taking something that, uh, was very difficult and trying to help other people. And that, that's a special person uh, indeed. And I wonder if that's the next chapter too, because he did, you know, this was over the course of nearly a decade. She had been suffering for eight years. So you wonder if he's going to be able to relate those experiences down the line to other people who, you know, are unfortunately going to be dealt a similar hand and say, you know, this is how we got through it. This is how we raised mm-hmm. a child and were able to deal with all the highs and lows that come with it. I wonder if that's something of a second act for him. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's gained more than 2 million followers on TikTok during this journey. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he uses that platform to continue being like a patient advocate or I guess help others and sort of even gain more followers. A new chapter indeed. Okay. What's up next, Jack? For our last segment, we're going to go back to threads. And before I get into my segment, I do have to ask. Back to threads. Back to threads. um, Have either of you either one gotten on threads in the past two weeks since it launched or been active? Because I can admit that I, I got on it the day that it launched. I can't say that I've been particularly active in the days that have followed. Yeah, I uh, opened up an account on it, um, but I think I opened the app maybe once and I haven't actually used it. So I technically have a Threads account, but I haven't posted or really lurked on it much. Um, I think like my, I'm still kind of checking Twitter daily just because it's like muscle memory to check Twitter. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But I've been hearing, I guess that, you know, there's still a lot of growth happening on Threads. Um, I think I saw TechCrunch just reported that... The app has achieved one fifth of the weekly active u- user base of Twitter worldwide. Um, so th- it's sustaining some growth and some activity. Um, so I don't know. Have you have you been using it? I like I said, I, I opened it the the first day and I have a, occasionally posted. You can see some of our stuff from MM&M. It's been mostly more professional, I would say, than, you know, the casual nature of Twitter. But it's been interesting. I spoke with uh, Real Chemistry social media practice leader Eileen O'Brien, no relation. Um, and she was talking about how they've been advising their clients to basically get on threads, but then kind of take that wait and see approach. You talk about lurking on there and really kind of see what comes with it. She compared it to the early days of Twitter in terms of people are getting on there. They're kind of figuring out what it all looks like and how it functions. But 
no one really knows where it goes from there in terms of cultivating a culture and all that sort of stuff. She did say, she had an interesting quote that I just want to uh, put in here in the podcast. She said, quote, I'm seeing a lot of HCPs on threads. I also understand that it's hard to find people on threads and those conversations between HCPs are happening, but it's going to take some time to improve functionality. And I can say that as somebody who is always looking anytime that say like, look, gets improved by the FDA or these big announcements come down. It's like, what, how will we report them out? It's impossible to find things on threads. The same way that you go on Twitter and you just type in FDA Lakembi, you'll get results. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen on threads. Oh, and that's ima- interesting. Imagine if you were trying to get in touch with HCPs for whatever condition or stuff like that. It's it's just not easy to navigate. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the upshot of the conversation I had. She did mention that you know there have been some pharma and biotech brands that have gotten on the site the likes of uh, BI, Moderna, Bayer. She gave a shout out to Amgen who have been pretty constantly posting on uh, threads, but otherwise she's been advising their clients mostly take a wait and see approach because they want to see how everything shakes out with Twitter and really where threads goes from here. Is it just growth to nowhere or is it growth with some sort of culture that's going to follow? Yeah, I also just want to throw out there really quick that I saw headlines in the last couple of days that Twitter's ad revenue is down by 50%. And cash flow is negative ever since Elon Musk took mm-hmm. over. So there's that also happening. Yeah. And, and I think uh, one of our sister publications, I think maybe um, reported that uh, has been reporting on some brands that have just kind of picked up and moved from Twitter over to threads. But I don't see that happening in Moss yet. Um, and, but maybe it just becomes, I heard somebody describe it as, uh, as if, you know, Instagram and Twitter had a baby, you know, <laughs> resulted in threads. So it's not really, um, as, uh, you know, the go-to for news like Twitter has been over the years yet. Um, maybe it becomes just ma- mainly a place for brands to, to do uh, a little bit more promotion, you know, and on some of their campaigns. Uh, in, in the pharma space, uh, rather than, you know, that place where HCPs are kind of debating, um, you know, the results of the medical news and, and, and data readouts. Yeah, I'll be curious how it all turns out, because I was reading the Wall Street Journal the other day, and they were comparing it to, um, what was it? It was a Google Plus. That was Google's try and uh, attempt at Facebook back in the early 2010s. And it got a good amount of pickup, too, in terms of downloads, but then no one knew what to do on it. And I feel like there is a fear, whether people want to admit it or not, that that could be the same fate that Threads has. Obviously, Facebook has so much in terms of resources to put behind it. But, you know, so did Google and they couldn't make a social media take off the same way Facebook did. I wonder if there's something similar with Twitter, if people aren't going to engage with it. It's just another app that's on your phone and eventually you delete it or you don't go back on to, to post. Right. And, and, you know, as uh, I think Alison Weisbrot said in, in her campaign savvy column um, last week, you know, Threads wants this to be um, a, a venue, you know, for, for positive uh, com- and constructive conversations, but they can't control, you know, just like Twitter can't control the Twitterverse so well, um, you know, Threads won't be able to control the thread, Threadsverse, is that, is that a word? Um, so well, so we'll see how it develops. You can make up anything at this point. I've, I've seen people talking about um, their followers calling it their thread count. You know, there's, <laughs> there's, all, there's no wrong answers when it comes to Threads. I think we're all just trying to make it up as we go along. Absolutely. The the sewing box. We'll see how it pans out. I like that. The sewing box. <laughs> <laughs> Keep an eye on that. Definitely. All right. Thank you, Jack, for three stimulating items. Appreciate that. That's it for this week. The MMM podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Gordon Failer, Lesha Bushak, and Jack O'Brien. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. Rate, review, and follow every episode wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes out every week. And be sure to check out our website, mmm-online.com. 
for the top news stories in pharma marketing.